Squash Tourist and Friends podcast. Season one bonus footage. Here at Squash Tourist, we are firmly adopting the keep them wanting more approach. However, we have managed to get a B-side with the most popular guest, according to the stats, Mr. Chris Trussfeldt. Please enjoy the show and look forward to season two. Coming soon. Mr. Trustwell. Jamie, Clive Haycox, how's it going? Pretty good, thanks. So uh, back due to overwhelming popular demand. It's uh, Mr. Trustwell part two, the uh, bonus bonus feature, bonus footage. Well, if the public are demanding it, who are we to deny them? Exactly. Yeah, indeed. I uh, I sort of feel a little bit like uh, uh, well, a poor man's Ricky Gervais, I suppose. And I've uh, I've very, stumb- very stumbled poor across. <laughs> yeah, I've stumbled across my uh, my own uh, my pers- uh, personal Carl Pilkington. Um, you know, people want to hear. People want to. The demand seems to be there. People want to hear more. They want to. They want to uh, pick the brain of uh, Chris Trusswell. And uh, they want to hear more, uh, more memoirs, more stories. I haven't got any monkey news, unfortunately. So uh, that will be a disappointment. Well, some would say you've got a lot, but um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so I just realised that this, uh, so the first episode wasn't your first time at the rodeo. Um, you no. back to two thousand five, I believe. Um, you had a little, you dipped your toe in uh, to the podcast world back in the uh, university days. If you just wanted to yeah. Uh, elaborate, yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, I think it was circa two thousand five. Might have been two thousand six, actually. Um, but it was, it was certainly. I mean, I, when I look back now, I would I'd certainly say that it was ahead of it, ahead of our time. Um, podcasts weren't really. A, I think at that point, but uh, I did. I think a grand total of three, three or four episodes of of a of a show uh, that was loosely squash themed as well. Um, with a friend, two two good friends of mine, Alex Preston, who was a uh, squash scholar at Birmingham University at the time, and Daffy Davis, who uh, whose claim to fame, interestingly, bearing in mind he didn't really play any squash at university, he was more of a team mascot. But he did have a couple, couple of notable junior wins under his belt at under thirteen or under fourteen level, where he beat James Wilstrap and Daryl Selby. So he, he had a bit of talent. It was just uh, you know that was that was his peak really. But we we did a podcast. Um, it was main, mainly to distract from doing any form of university work. Um, there were several times where deadline was was due the next day and we were up very late at night recording a podcast because actually daff daff was studying in quito in ecuador at the time and and alex had gone off to new york so we were in three different time zones so the only way to make it work was that i would have to stay up late at night and um, sacrifice any hope of getting a decent grade at university but you know no regrets as i said in my uh (laughs) in my first podcast first episode I'm sure many people can uh, can attest to uh, to making worse mistakes than being up late uh, doing a podcast uh, while at university. So uh, yes, yeah, shouldn't be too ashamed of that. It 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 was a wasted project because I I have had a look recently to see if it's still out there, but it seems to have it, it was on iTunes originally, but it's, it seems to have disappeared into cyberspace, and, and that's probably a good thing. I think. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, maybe it is. Um, so. Uh, 
I think ne- yeah, next topics. Let's start off with uh, let's. Uh, I'd like to for you to uh, elaborate on some of the characters, some of the um, some of the, the funny pe- uh, people you've met on tour, and uh, and yeah, some of those experiences. Yeah, well, I mean, there are plenty of characters around. Um, I think fellow players are often um, quite quite funny characters, and there's also then the people that you meet at the at various tournaments. I think one one of the one of the characters that sticks out in my mind that's non-squash related, but was through a tournament, um, was it the tournament in Nigeria that I mentioned briefly in the first episode. Um, what I didn't mention was, was was this character. Um, when when you go to Nigeria, there was strict instructions that we were not to leave the airport without being uh, met by the by the tournament because it's too too dangerous for you know to, to to start wandering out into into lagos it's there's a high high risk of things like muggings and kidnappings especially white you know young white males um so we we were told to wait and i was i was traveling with, with sean sean larue at the time we were we were picked up at the airport by uh a very very large uh guy called genesis and he was the he introduced himself as the chief the chief of nigeria of lagos state police so we thought well we're, we are in safe we're in very safe hands here there's no 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 harm's going to come we got into his car and we had a police escort all the way from the um from the airport to the, to the club the ikoi 1938 club uh, very prestigious uh, very prestigious club in the in the heart of uh, of Lagos, and we were told that we were not to leave the club unless Genesis was there. So Genesis uh, basically stationed himself at the club and was our our driver for the week. Essentially, and wherever we went, there was there was flashing lights and quite surreal. Really, he would be cutting through traffic like no one's business, and generally generally seemed like a good guy. But after a couple of days, he he would drop us off in the morning and, and would stay at the club and he would park himself at the, at the small bar that they had at the squash courts and immediately start drinking the local, the local lager, which is it's called star lager. And it's quite strong, you know, it's 5% minimum. And he sat there all day at the bar drinking, getting notes visibly worse for wear as the day went on. And I remember sort of thinking at one point, like, is he, should he be? Should should he be one? Should he be drinking? Two? Surely he won't be the one that drives us home at this point because clearly there's, you know, he'd have to arrest himself. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's no way he's pass, passing a breath test. And yeah, lo and behold, um, that he he was obviously the one that was driving us home. So at that point, it's tough to know what to do because you've been told that you can't transport yourself in any other way. It's not safe to get a taxi or anything like that. But also the the, the security that's been provided from you has had 10 bottles of star lager during the day and doesn't appear to be in any fit state to be driving you to the accommodation. But, you know, that's just one of the, one of the things that you kind of have to get used to. And yeah, the, you know, this is Africa really, I suppose. And anything goes, he, he wasn't going to get arrested for drink driving because he was the police. He was the head of the police um so he was sort of felt untouchable but it was quite surreal to think that that would happen anywhere else in the world really that you know imagine that in in england or america or canada i mean it just doesn't yeah just wouldn't happen but certainly uh, certainly a breach of uh drink driving laws 
the current drink rivalry laws. Maybe not the seventies in England, but so yeah, time has moved on. Thank the countryside, but uh, yeah, in a in a highly dense, <laughs> densely populated urban area, uh, which Lagos is, it's incredible and mega city. Um, there's there's no way that uh, that you should be drinking ten ten pints and then escorting these foreign foreign athletes safely to their destination. No, absolutely not. Um, so uh, I guess that brings me on to um, to some notable tours. We had a uh, the tour that we uh, to Canada. We often yeah, it was an apt name for that tour, really. Well, actually, not probably not quite as much for me as it was for you, but um, I think it was also got named the tour that didn't happen. Um, yeah, and yeah, it was a it was a two stop trip to Canada, um, calling in at Winnipeg and Winnipeg first of all, and, and Calgary on the on the way back, and it's it's a, it's it's, a, it's tough really because. We travelled all that way together, um, and also our third housemate of ours, Joel Hines. Um, so we almost travelled as a full house, and we got there and we were billeted together. Fantastic, fantastic, with a fantastic family. Um, the Nathans. Yeah, and and they provided everything that we uh, everything that we needed, and we we got there. We we got there in in advance, and we'd had a couple of days practice and feeling all right and. In in those days, this, again, this has changed now. But the, the draw for qualifying was done on the day of qualifying in the morning, so the draw might be at sort of ten o'clock, and then the first match would start at twelve. So you you wouldn't know until you, until then you wouldn't know who you're playing. Obviously, these days you know the qualifying draw is done in advance, and you know who you're going to be playing. Um, so we we obviously had a couple of days practice, feeling all right. There's obviously it's a 16 draw, so we were all three of us were in qualifying, but still the chances of you know you really hope that you won't have to play housemate in, the, in these sort of events. And we had a meal in the in the uh, the evening before qualifying started, and and then I I remember waking up the next morning not feeling you know not feeling good at all, um, and obviously we were all in separate bedrooms, and and I remember coming down to the kitchen and you and Joel were there and, and we sort of all sort of looked at each other and we, we were all kind of like are you, are your stomach, is your stomach feeling feeling alright? And like, oh, no, not really, I'm feeling awful I've had, you know, I've had to be, been to the toilet in the night, we've been been sick and um, I don't think I've been sick at that point but I think maybe you or Joel have been sick. Anyway, it was it was one of those where you think, oh you don't uh, Yeah, I've been I was struggling me and Joel were there. Well, I think me and Joel may have been sharing a room actually, because I think I came back in the middle of the night, and Joel was like, "Is your stomach not great either?" And uh, yeah, and then we sort of took turns in the in the bathroom we were sharing, but yeah, it wasn't a pleasant experience. Yeah, I think that that is that's right. And and then things weren't improving as the you know thought we have some breakfast. So we, by the time we got to the club, which you had to be there, even though we'd been in, in Winnipeg for a couple of days, you had to be there at 10 o'clock for the draw. You had to sign, you had to, you know, you literally there was a register and you had to hold your hand up and say you were here. Um, and we got a lift to the club and I, I can remember I was, I was deteriorating, feel, feeling really, really awful. I remember walking into the, the Winnipeg squash club and outside they had, outside the doors, it's quite a nice club, uh, quite a lot, lot of mahogany and all that sort of stuff. Uh, there was two big flower pots with, 
with flowers in. And as you boys had walked through the door, I, I just had to hold back for a few seconds. And I was, I ended up being sick in the flower pot outside the club. Um, just thinking, oh no, <laughs> oh, this, this is this not good. This can't get any worse, sure. And we went down, they did the draw, and as luck would have it, uh, me and you drew each other straight away first round. And the winner of us would potentially play Joel in the, in the. We were all in the same quarter of the draw. Joel was playing Wade Johnston of Australia, and we were all so all three of us ended up in the same in the same quarter. And which is really um, the chances of that happening are really slim. And I remember we 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 played, and somehow, some somehow I, I, I don't know because we were we were both in terrible shape, but somehow I managed to sneak pretty much a solitary my solitary win over you and um I wasn't you didn't sneak it it was uh well try, it was just no contest try, it? Try, it was, oh, yeah I mean I don't you know it was three it was it was three nil yeah yeah, yeah it was three nil yeah. uh revenge for the 2001 <laughs> Preston Grasshopper yeah exactly I was uh, if you'd have told me in 2001 at Preston Grasshoppers that I would end up uh, beating you in a PSA event in Winnipeg which I wouldn't well first of all I wouldn't have known where Winnipeg was but Secondly, I would have been, you know, bitten your hand off at that. Um, the only, uh, I was the only time we ever on, played. On I think PSA, that was our sole, sole match. Yeah, so one, one and zero. There are not, there are uh, not many people yeah. I've got hundred percent record against. Um, so yeah, I could name another. I think, uh, there, I could name another. Just, there is, just out of interest. Yeah, there is, there is one. There's one other person. Yeah. This sort, this actually, this does sort of link in. Really, it seemed that whenever you were. Uh, well, if you if you dislike the person, which I suppose didn't apply to me, but if you severely dislike the person, or you uh, were in a, a an extremely sort of a situation of of discomfort, then it seems to sort of, sort of bring the best out in you, really. So the other person would be Jan Perrin, I think, who was, at the time was he was well into it was in the fifties, probably I think he got up to like maybe fifty five as well. Way above but, me. Uh, Way above me. Actually, yeah. Twice, yeah, I beat him twice. Once was in Atlanta as a as a look. Actually, as a lucky loser, I lost my uh, I lost my qualifying match to Gilly Lane, I think Gilly Lane, and then yeah, it's the tournament where you lost to Gilly Lane twice in the same tournament. Got a lucky, lo- <laughs> got a lucky <laughs> loser. Impressive. Yeah, that's also yeah losing record against Gilly, uh, and then I got a lucky loser to play Jan and managed to. I think I beat him in five in Atlanta. But that was. A, that was a big win, and we were it was a bit niggly, and and yeah, it wasn't particularly nice. And then that was to play Gilly again the next day, uh, who had lost two three nil two days before, and and promptly lost three 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 nil again. But at least I got some points and some prize money in the bag for the second defeat, which made things taste a little bit a little bit better. But yeah, yeah, that's one of one of my one of my only winning records, I think, probably against uh, Jan Jan Perrin. And then you, I think, then you event, then you you uh, did him in his own backyard. I think played in Paris, in Paris. yeah, and he was, it was like a super old super satellite tournament, which would be like a five, kind of a five k today in, in today's money. And uh, he was second seed, and I, uh, yeah, I think I actually beat him easy that time, three three nil, three one, and yeah, actually, right, I made the semis of that one, and then lost to a young Greg Gregoire Marsh, who was pretty pretty decent already by that point no shame yeah. yeah he was pretty pretty handy he just come out of juniors and was was making his way up pretty pretty quickly but yeah um so that that brings us on to uh yeah i don't know how he missed it first time around but your uh your your world record uh breaking breaking <laughs> scoreline 
Doesn't, doesn't seem to get as much press as it should, really. Strangely, PSA don't advertise or promote this, but um, yeah, I currently have the record for the fastest ever match on PSA, uh, which was six minutes total. Um, and to be fair, we didn't the work we didn't come up in between games because thank. Is that including? Oh, okay, it didn't. Yeah, I was going to ask include the warm-up, the but uh, includes. Well, there weren't any breaks, so it was just straight through. It was a eleven love, eleven love, eleven love. Um, I think probably the reason that doesn't get talked about is because it wasn't particularly. Uh, it was. It wasn't a particularly <laughs> impressive feat, even though it sounds it. Um, the guy I was playing it was. It was the tournament was on Kish Island, which is an Iranian island, which um, similar to Lagos. Really, I went played that tournament a couple of times. Um, and it, it was a it was a local guy who, who obviously clear, clearly wasn't up to much if I'm able to do that to him. Um, but I, I do remember you were there again at that one, and there was a few other guys. I remember Steve Coppinger was there. There was uh, Robbie Temple, Tasker Grinley, um, and I, I remember I remember thinking, do I give him a point? But then also looking out and kind of getting the impression that everyone wanted me to to just be ruthless with him. So, so I was. And then when I walked off court, I was then, I was then kind of the target of everyone kind of being, oh, that's really, that's, you're so harsh to do that. What are you doing? That's like, it's, you know, it's really, and I'm like, yeah, obviously stitched me up a bit because from what I could tell while we were on court, they were like, yeah, do it, do it. Um, so yeah, maybe I feel a little bit guilty about that and could have given a point away at least and still probably had the time record. Um, but Kish Island was an interesting place. So you you couldn't fly. You could only get there through Dubai, and then you had to change from the Emirates terminal to the to the, uh, the domestic terminal. Buying a ticket for Kish Air, which is the airline to get there, was a was a real a real. Uh, there was no online booking, so it was a real issue trying to. You couldn't do that. that kayak, well, kayak didn't exist. Yeah, you in had those to days, but, yeah. sort of paper ticket. You had to reconfirm your ticket. Um, even though you, you would have a return ticket for a day in time, it wasn't valid unless you then went to the Kish Air office on the island to get it validated and confirmed. Um, interesting. I mean, that was an interesting place. I think um, we all learned a le- valuable lesson there that we we didn't have any of the local currency, which is Iranian, Iranian real, I think, is the currency. Iranian real. Um because we obviously we assumed there'd be cash machines on the island and we all we'd be able to play Ricard. And there were cash machines on the island, but fortunately, because of Iran's place in the world um, and sanctions that are put on Iran, there aren't they, the visas, visa and MasterCards that we use everywhere else in the world don't work over there. So there was no way of getting any money. And it was a bit of a panic station because none of us had any money to pay for anything. Um, luckily, my dad was in Dubai at the time on business and he uh he decided he was going to fly over for a day or two just to have a watch of the squash while he had a bit of time off so he he came over and i think i can't remember but i think he bailed certainly bailed at least a couple of us out with he you know he brought cash with him uh, was able to uh, change or bought cash that he could then change at least into the local currency and bailed us out otherwise we were we were in trouble really um and it's not something that I think is, you know, not something that happens very often uh, to, to, to people these days. But if Kish Island does come back onto the tour, it's certainly worth uh, worth noting down to 
take take cash because cash is king in in Kish Island. So I guess it was. I guess you could say it was more plans made by Nigel and uh, making plans for <laughs> Nigel on that particular. So, good XTC reference there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it was. Oh well, yeah, we weren't making plans for Nigel. He was making them for us. <laughs> Very good. Lovely stuff. I'm sure that'll get an absolute treat with our uh, niche followers. And <laughs> uh, ne- next, next, uh, Actually, well, uh, next just, one. Just thinking about one other thing about Kish was then when we got there, we were we were looking for, for places to eat, and that obviously there's no um, there's no Western chains over there again due to sanctions and relations with around the wider world. But we did come across at one point a KFC, didn't we? And we, I remember us being, the, the logo was the same, the kernel was there. And we thought, oh, KFC, what on earth? And then we realised it's the Bakish fried chicken and um, <laughs> decided to swerve, decided to swerve it. Yeah, I've seen a few of those. I, think in, in, I remember a few in Manchester and in, in uh, Fallowfield. I think it was Hentucky fried chicken. <laughs> um, yeah, a couple, couple of knockoffs. A couple of knockoffs down Curry Mile, perhaps. Yeah. 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 Um. Next, uh, let's um, let's go into uh, some fitness fads. I think with most most squash players tend to go through. Uh, well, certainly if you play for long enough, you'll uh, you'll you'll go through fads without without much choice. To be honest, you know, see the foam rollers popping up, which weren't uh, certainly weren't around in the uh, in two thousand six. Um, but yeah, let's go through a few uh, a few fitness fads that um, that you've been that you've embarked uh, on. Well, and, I think. Uh, I think we're both guilty on that front. I mean, fads in general are, seem to be pretty. I mean, this this is probably a fad. Um, I, I, well, at this at this date, when we're actually yeah, this day, uh, this this is a bonus for, for bonus podcast, but it's actually the second episode. So, so then the second podcast has been made. So uh, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, well, I remember um, the one the one fad that sticks out for me was a couple actually is one was uh yoga was was quite popular at one point in our in our house in Birmingham and I remember getting back from from trade from training one day and you and Chris Tasker and Joel Hines were all already back from training or hadn't trained that morning or I can't, for whatever reason you were, you guys were already back at home and I remember walking into our living room which is um which was a first first floor um, reasonable size room, and I walked in, and the heating was jacked up to an incredible level for a domestic house. Stifling, <laughs> and all three of you were on on the carpet. I think we maybe had one or two mats, but I don't think they were enough for everyone. And there was a yoga video on the TV, and you were all doing this uh, yoga, which had become a thing. You know, we. we sort of read enough about you know people were talking about yoga is good for you know it's good for the flexibility the suppleness and it, it complements good for us you know complements the weight training and all this sort of stuff um but it was it was the heat thing that really that made me laugh that you obviously read a lot about hot yoga um and decided to to try and recreate a hot yoga studio in our own our own house um just just hilarious. i think what had happened there is we'd uh we, we had um so we used to go around the different yoga studios in Birmingham. They all had the uh, introductory offers. So it would be something like £15 for 15 days. <laughs> I think we'd, we'd gone around every single place there. And, uh, and then we just worked out that the next best bet was to uh, group together in the lounge. 
Uh, it was probably slightly cheaper than paying the seventy-five pound <laughs> monthly. Yeah, I think it was three yoga shoes and Birmingham. So if you work, if you work that out, barefoot yeah. yoga haven. Yeah, and uh, another one up, up by the mailbox. I can't remember what it's called now, but there was. Um, yeah, they would have like yoga, yoga sweat. Yeah, they would have two or three week offers. So if you use them all in a row, you've got yourself, you know, probably got yourself seven or eight weeks. You got yourself a couple of months worth there. But once they ran out, then obviously there were problems. Financial problems came, you know, that reared their ugly head as usual. And um, yeah, there's no no option really but to get creative. And yeah, it's probably you know in, worth a try in any in any case. But yeah, the heating bills were through the roof for for a period of period of time while well, that was still still flavor of the month. Um, another, another one I remember was not this wasn't one that I participated in, but Chris Tasker Grinley who had moved into the house to replace. Johnny Arford um, was just embarking out on PSA. He was a couple of years kind of behind us, and he'd he'd had a period of time at university where he wasn't as active as probably should have been if he if he wanted to play PSA properly. And um, physical conditioning was was kind of order of the month when he started, but he was trying to catch up with, with you know with us boys who'd already had a couple of decent summers training. So things like um, well, any, anything physical, really, we were already at an advantage. And I remember, I remember Tasker was um, was op- open to, you know, to be fair to him, he had an open mind and he was, you know, o- open to, suggest- open to <laughs> suggestions. And there was a, a training method called Vin Napier, um, which involved, it was track-based. And he was, I think you might remember the details more than I, more than I can, but he, he was... I think luckily for uh, Chris Tasker, he was uh, he, he was in contact with John Tate at the time. So uh, he had the, the the swing doctor to, um, but maybe Tater should st- stick to uh, stick to his swing work rather than uh, on the physical side of the game. I think John had passed on the Vin Napier training program. I think there was uh, I think there was there was John. I think there was also Rustam Batavala, who's a, a member at Edgbaston Priory yeah. Club, who's, who's some some people Squash might legend. know he's won lots of eight nationals and British Open age groups in the sort of over forty five plus category and he was fit as a fiddle for his age really puts all to shame and he was also a kind of fierce competitor Rustam he uh, I remember I remember being I think I was there maybe but he was playing Sarah Jane Perry and uh, it was you know she was on uh, coming up she was uh, yeah tough. Tough player, and uh, but no, Rustam. I mean, it didn't matter who he was playing, to be honest. And uh, it got to something like 10 9 in the fifth match ball, and Rustam did not think twice. A ball came around wide, and he just absolutely lined her up and drilled her to take the match. Certainly, with that, and just certainly not not afraid to to uh, yeah to to take that that stroke and and put his hand out for for a quick shake, shake, and straight straight out the door. Yeah, yeah. So he he was. Uh, I remember for a period of time he was meeting Chris at the at the track, and and they were they were doing these sessions together. But all all I remember is that Tusk was keen on it for for a week or two, and and very quickly became apparent his body wasn't able to cope with the demands, and um, it, uh, I, I feel like it probably did more harm than good at, at, at that point in time. <laughs> Well, certainly, you look at his uh, coming. Bearing his in injury. mind, and obviously, this is uh, yeah, this is people won't know this. Bearing in mind, this is a man who went to do a tour in Australia and um, decided to do a ghosting session in his hostel and managed managed to cramp up while uh, whilst whilst ghosting in his hostel bedroom. So, I mean, 
that's that sort of shows you sort of uh, <laughs> shows you the sort of levels we're talking again. About. Yeah, I think it was it was something like they they were charging forty dollars to uh, or something something like that to uh, to hire a court. So he thought, you know, well, forget that. That's you know, I'm not going to do that. Those rates, a flush, um, flush. And he he did some go- ghosting in his hostel, and I think he went for a run one day, but it was before he had Google Maps, and he got ended up getting lost in Melbourne yeah, somewhere. And ended up, I think he did about half mile. Yeah, in, in the midday heat as well. I think the heat was an issue, wasn't it? It wasn't one of those where he'd gone out early to, you know, the Mel- Melbourne's not known for its uh, for its coolness at that time of year. And he was, yeah, I think he'd had uh, best of intentions to get the flight out of his legs. But actually, I think he he's, he's wrecked his first tournament completely. Um, almost on a arri- dead on arrival. <laughs> Should, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he won't mind us saying that because we're obviously... Uh, you know, good, good, good friends, and uh, the relationship is essentially taking the mick out of each other. So, yeah, I'm sure, sure, he could have a few tells. Yeah, all it's healthy, all, it's all, it's all said with affection, really. Yeah. Um, I believe you've got a uh, a pretty good story about uh, losing losing some cash in. A, I've, I mean, I've got one myself as well, but uh, yeah. Losing some hard-earned cash on top. Very, on tour. very well, very nearly. Yeah, this is. Um, I mentioned that I'd done a bit of coaching down in Guatemala in the first episode, and and it's this follow, follows on from that. So the first time we had done that with it was with it was with Eddie Charlton, and we'd we'd gone down to Guatemala. We'd done the week's coaching. We'd sort of worked really hard. We'd coached kids during the day, adults at night, sort of you know, choc- you know, three sessions in a day sort of thing, and made made ourselves at least for you know for the for the week's work a good nice little chunk of cash that would keep us going for a while and we were flying straight from Guatemala up to Pittsburgh for a for a PSA event and me and Eddie got there we'd landed early in the morning uh we we got ourselves into Pittsburgh I, I, I vaguely remember going into a Dunkin Donuts for a coffee we made our way to the club but there were no courts available for a hit and our billet was not picking us up until later in the day so we were kind of we had a few hours to kill and we got showered and then we thought we'll go and go and have a wander around Pittsburgh and see what we could you know get get our bearings just gen- standard stuff really and we ended up in a food court in a shopping mall and um, had had some food um, sort of decided to head back to the club so we we set off we got rid of our trays cleared our table set off to the to the club it was it was I feel like it was winter time snowing outside and we'd We'd made the walk outside. We, we were nearly back at the club, sort of ten minutes later. We were just chatting away about what, about various various things, and all of a sudden, I, I turned turned to turn around to speak to Eddie, and he he just completely just dis- he, he wasn't there. He disappeared. I was like, where, where on earth is he gone? Just outside, turned around, I couldn't see him anywhere. And I just thought, that's, where where is he? That's that's weird. And I looked, couldn't find him anywhere. So I went went to the club. When I sort of carried on going back to the club, which was in a, an office complex. Uh, waited for him for a little bit, and about an hour later, he 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 walked back in, looking you know looking pale, really really pale, and just pale but flustered at the same time, sort of stressed, but but he was yeah, yeah I know. Of, yeah. And what happened was that we'd uh, he we'd obviously left our bags, our, our big bags at the club, and we'd taken our sort of backpacks, which had you know the you know the the essential passports and wallets and all that sort of stuff, and. As we obviously sat down to eat, Eddie had put his down on the on the chair opposite on the table, and we got up and without think because we were just chatting away, we got up and we'd taken our trays and we just walked off. And Eddie had left his 
his backpack, which had several thousand dollars in cash in, in it. And he, he, he basically hadn't, wasn't until we'd got, you know, within touching distance of the club that he'd, he'd suddenly twigged that he hadn't got his backpack on his, on his back or it was like a whole, like a sort of laptop case. So, he, so without saying anything Ugh. to me, he's obviously just, he's just an absolute blind panic. Cause I, yeah, I think it was like laptop as well. It was, I mean, it was every, everything. Uh, he, he just literally turned on his heels and bolted, um, you know, never. He said he never, never moved so fast in his life. And he got back down to the food court, to the table that we were sat at, and the bag wasn't there. And at that point, obviously, he had, you know, his heart rate, heart rate was through the roof. He, yeah, he didn't know what what was happening. And he got, you know, at those those places, you obviously got multiple food. You know, it's not like you were in one specific restaurant. It's like take your pick from whatever food counter you're going to have your food from, and then it's like a communal seating area. So he, he didn't, he couldn't go and speak to the restaurant. Um, he ended up speaking, asking a security guard, kind of explaining. That he, he didn't explain what was in the bag, but that he'd left a bag here, and 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 luckily it had been uh, it had been handed in to the security, the, the shopping centre security, and they they obviously then needed proof that it was his. But obviously all of his, all of his ID was in the bag, so it's tough to yeah. So he so he had to obviously he told them it was his, they matched his, he told them what his name was and obviously it's easy enough to do, but then they had, they basically grilled him about why he was in Pittsburgh, what he was doing there, what was in the bag and he had a real panic that because he was obviously carrying cash on him and it's not, you know, maybe it's not the the best thing to have that amount of cash. Um, I think they asked him why he had so much cash on him and he had to kind of tell a little white lie that he was, I actually think he told the white lie that he was, going to buy a new um he was going to the apple store to buy a macbook or something like that and that's why he'd been and taken the cash out that day and all that sort of stuff and they in the end they just yeah fair, fair enough and, and he came back to the club but it was it was just weird that one second he was there the next he wasn't and then it was you know sort of an hour later after he'd been in sort of into the back office of the shopping center getting interrogated as to what he was doing why he was there and he, uh, yeah, he, that, he's never really. I think he's, yeah, I think he's never really gotten over the, the shock of it. That initial shock is just like that sinking feeling that he's all basically done a week's done oh, a week's work incredible. for nada. Um, <laughs> but yeah, happy ending in the end. Always, yeah. always keep, always keep an eye on your possessions. It's a valuable lesson, a valuable for lesson any, learned for, for it. Just, just for anyone. That's just not not for anyone, yeah. related. That's just always look after your possessions. Yeah, uh, I guess that nicely brings us on to uh, the next feature, which would be um, some some advice, really, for uh, you know a, a young young squash player just about to uh, embark on the world of uh, on the world tour. Um, just so, yeah, if we got uh, maybe a couple of pieces of advice, things that things that you've learned along the way. Things where I mean, other than keep, other than keep your valuables at hand. I think if you're ever travelling to a foreign country, a country where you're not aware of, well, make sure you've got a visa if you need. Always, always that's a good one. Always check the visa requirements before any before you book a flight, certainly or before the closing date uh, closes. This you... this doesn't just apply to uh, individuals. National uh, national teams should also uh, take note of this. And I think I've, I've heard of one or two stories. Yeah. Been I, think, I think there's been a few administrative errors, uh, various various governing bodies over the years. Yeah, um, always so always check your always check the requirements of the, the country you want to go to. 
I was going to say before the entry shut, you don't want to end up with a, a zero on your ranking. That's a that's a pain for every single squash player. The, the dreaded the dreaded uh, penalty zero. Um, and when you do get there, I think especially if it's a country you've not been to before, it's a country that's got a different culture to you. Um, careful, careful what you eat. I think uh, I've been stung a couple of times on on trips where uh, tried the local. If if you want to try the local cuisine, wait until you're out of the tournament. Um, I think that's I think that's a safe safe bet, and and never try the tap water uh, because that's really really is suicidal. Uh, I remember being in Calcutta once and being in, in again always in the dog fight of qualifying and and um, uh, be, being too too love up and and comfy in the third game when I, when I, when I had a stomach movement that was seven three I think seven, it was three I, think I was watching yeah. I was obviously I mean, there. You still be able to push through at that point but I had a stomach movement and and Sandeep Jangra I think it was it Sandeep or Vic uh, not. Yeah, Sandeep Jangra, I think. His name yeah, is. I think there was two brothers. Uh, two brothers, yeah. I don't know which one it was, but whichever one it was, it was it was a, it was, should have been a should have been a three 0 win for me, and it and it and it turned into a three two loss from almost an unlosable position. Uh, <laughs> due, due to big points in that are those due to uh, that stage as well. It's a good opportunity. Yeah, I can remember exactly how many points it would have been forty five, and I'm pretty sure that that would have pushed push, probably pushed me to the highest ranking. But um, you know, not bitter about that at all. But there was there was certainly some some sort of some sort of sustenance that had been eaten prior to the match was uh, trying to make its way out. Um, Sooner rather than <laughs> sooner rather than later, and uh, yeah, after losing the third game, I was basically felt like a shell of a human being. It was amazing how quickly it happened. Really, I'd, I'd never thought that, that that sort of energy loss could happen, but I think uh, yeah, his legs his legs have gone. Yeah, yes, exactly. Um, yeah, always bottled water and you know safer menu options as possible is can can. Can definitely help salvage salvage uh, a few extra ranking points so, o- over a season. Well, I think, uh, in my experience, I've actually I've haven't travelled to. Uh, I think I've been to India maybe at least five times. Um, been to Pakistan, been to Central America, but I've always been quite lucky. I know, maybe having a fairly good stomach or being re- re- fairly careful. You know, not washing my uh, clean my teeth in the. Uh, in the in the using the water and those sort of things, but right. um, I remember going to going to Pakistan and uh, India and Pakistan for two weeks. Um, so I went out there and had great time. Couple of couple of uh, nice tournaments. Um, like no worries with the food whatsoever. And then I came back for my uh, home tournament at Sutton Coalfield Squash Club. And uh, <laughs> Bertie Bertie the barman had put some uh, some ch- chicken thighs out to <laughs> welcome the players in there. <laughs> And so yeah, we duly obliged. And uh, anyway, next thing I know, I wake up at three three in the morning in in well the tangle that you were in, I guess in uh, in India. But yeah, I just guess it just goes to show that you can you can never be too careful. So it's not just not just on your travels. Um, just, just be careful, especially when someone like Bertie the barman <laughs> passing out chicken jump. Yeah, yeah, that is true. It's, it's it could happen anywhere, and you know sabotage sabotage at Sutton is. Uh... It was oh, it was a disaster for me. It was my home tournament. I, you know, the thing was the first year. It was the first year I'd played it. I was top seed. Um, you know, really good following at the club. We supposed to play every week for the club. Um, my sponsor Oliver Fincher was. Uh, you know, he'd put the event on. He was there watching, and I remember it just. I just didn't recover. I think I lost to Mike Harris, but I was. 
yeah, I don't know. I wasn't I, I wasn't at my best anyway. I think um, well, maybe the fact that I lost to you and Mike Harris when I, <laughs> when I was under food poisoning maybe just shows how mentally weak I was. I wasn't hundred percent. Sutton Sutton's Colfield's a great club, isn't it? I remember we, we I played we played for them at the same time, and I, I think talking about that Winnipeg match where I got one win over you, we we played an exhibition at Sutton where. Um, the, the the stakes were pro- well, I'd almost say were higher in the exhibition match. So in fact, the, I mean, the crowd was the, cra- the crowd profit. was certain, certainly larger on that show court Sutton, and um, we we played an exhibition where it, it got to the point where I think we were obviously obviously it was two all because that's sort of standard stuff. But then I think Ollie Ollie put hundred quid down at the front of the front of the court and basically said, right boys, <laughs> winner winner t- winner takes winner takes the bonus and and. Uh, I think we had ended up having a twelve, yeah, a twelve, twelve ten or something in the fifth. Which again, I'm pretty sure I managed to sneak that. But I think the, I think the crowd, crowd were well, well happy in the end, weren't they? That that, that evening was sort of highlight of their year, I think. I can still picture. I've got an image. There's a photo. I think it's on Facebook of you, uh, pretty much in like an Air Jordan <laughs> pose, playing it inside out forehand, <laughs> forehand no, on the backhand. I think. Yeah. Your uh, special double speciality the shot, the uh, cross court slam Fine cross courts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, there's very few other similarities between me and Michael Jordan. But I tell you, there's there, there is some air. There is some air in that in that shot for sure. <laughs> no, the Asics gel rockets compared to the Air Jordans probably don't really match up. But yeah, the, uh, there's some good height. Um. So neatly from uh, from Sutton, we should take the uh, the eight mile journey or whatever it is along the A thirty eight to uh, to Edge Western Priory yep. through the through the Queensway tunnels and uh, turn right at McDonald's. Can you put yeah, it there? right, right, left, um, left of Sir, Sir Harry's there. Road. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously, a Priory for any anyone that's anyone that knows us or anyone that knows. Anything about squash in England will obviously know that Priory is one of the the premier clubs in the country, um, or at least it thinks it is. Um, and is we mean we we were based there for many many years, and it's it's in the time that we've been there, it's been knocked down and rebuilt from scratch, pretty pretty much. Um, we've got ten ten courts, thirty tennis courts. Um, it's a real real good place, full of. F- Held some really big events there these days, squash and tennis. Yeah, they held the British Junior Open. Brit- well, British Junior tennis. Open. They've held the European teams, uh, men's and women's last year. They they have a real active uh, active junior program. They hold the pre Wimbledon tournament for the women, which is generally attracts a good chunk of the top ten. Um, yeah, they've they, they've they've got a really good setup at Edgebaston. Um, it's a bit of a different vibe to Sutton Coalfield, which is more of a an, an old school squash club. Priory is a little bit, a little bit moderner, maybe a little bit, maybe in a slightly plusher area. But um, we some distinguished honorary, uh, honorary guest, honorary members. Yeah, I mean, I could, off the top of my head, I can think of uh, Martina Navratilova, Natalie Torsier, Maria Sharapova, and then in, and then in the squash room, I think there was there was Stuart Boswell, Del Harris, Paul Lord. Sarah Fitzgerald, um, they had a. They actually won the PSL or the National League as it was then back uh, around two thousand and four, five. Well, while we were at university, it was always a big, a big deal to go and watch the National League set up um, when it was on at Edgebaston. They had the, the old show court. They had the old, 
the pit uh, second court, which is famous for, I think Jonah Barrington and Je- uh, Jeff Hunt had some battles on there. But Jonah was carried off carried off the court. He was so exhausted after you know two hours. Uh, it's a really his- historic club, but um, like any like any club, there are there are a few characters knocking around there. Um, people who are just part of the furniture that you could you could go any any given day and time and. You know, you can set your watch to to the people that you'll see there, and uh, it's really, really like a another little world. Once once you turn in off Sir Harry's Road, it's, uh, it's a community in itself. Host to a really host to host to some real uh, personalities. Yeah, I mean, if if those walls could talk, um, some some of the uh, the Friday night discos that have been held over, it's probably why they knocked it down because the walls they didn't want the walls to talk. <laughs> uh, get some new walls. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. There's, there's uh, been plenty of uh, suspicious behaviour over the years. <laughs> probably don't need to. Uh, probably yeah. Back in the nineties, I guess squash chair, squash chairman would have been it. Yeah, not related to that, but squash chairman would have been Ellis Short, who was a real uh, one of those characters you mentioned. Who you know you can you can guarantee that if you know if you go in the mid morning or mid afternoon, you'll uh, Ellis will be doing his rounds. Always uh, always great to. Great to see Ellis. Yeah, one, chat of the, with one of the uh, he's a he's a, a ref, been referee in squash for a long time, and he's um, certainly got refereed some of the big ones when the when the uh, British Open was in Birmingham. Ellis took charge for the final. Ellis and Brian Gurner. Yeah, and they still referee even today on the at the, the PSL at the, the Birmingham University. They're still they still going. You know, if you look, Still driving to the club, they're still refereeing. incredible, really. They, they, if you look at the old Sky Sports footage from the sort of 2000 2001 British Open, which sponsored by the, the I Group, I think it was like Paul Price and David Palmer, Chris Walker. That that tournament, Ellis is uh, Ellis is, is on the camera several times and he hasn't he hasn't aged a day since then. It's incredible, really. Uh, fantastic, he almost looks younger having shaved, shaved yeah, his beard. Fantastic, fantastic guy. Fantastic guy. He's always got a story as well. Um, sometimes it's the same story, but um, he's always he, he's always got a story to tell. So it's fantastic to uh, go back and see Ellis whenever whenever he, whenever I'm in uh, in Birmingham. Always pop into Edgbaston Priory and see see who's knocking around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's hope everything's everything's doing well at the club and uh, and they're able to open as as soon as possible. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, so uh, I guess to, to wrap it up, we're looking at we're around about well, forty six minutes again. So uh, seems we don't want to go on for too long, but no. um, yeah, well, seems like you uh, to turn the quick fire ten around, maybe yeah, just to give uh, but no, I guess less an insight into into the squash tourists. Yeah, well, it's only it's only fair that you gave me a few few quick fire last time, so I thought I'd, I'd just uh, turn turn it back on to you so that people can. Can get to know a little bit more about you. I've actually, I'm just uh, actually maybe maybe got I've got I've definitely got ten. I might even have a couple of extra ones. So we'll just. Uh... Well, I guess we, I guess you know, do eleven. Do eleven. Yeah, let's do. Uh... Maybe. Yeah, let's do eleven. That's that's easy easily done. So, first one. Best player you've ever played. Ram, be, uh, well, uh, Rami Ashore, but I be didn't play the match. Rami Ashore, without a doubt. I had a 20-minute practice uh, in Hong Kong with him, and I was probably more nervous 
getting on court with him than I was for my match and probably put too much effort in, I think, because I, uh, I remember playing terribly later that day in the actual match. But, um, you know, just incredible being on, on with uh, on with Rami. Um, you know, and this was like 10 in the morning, you know, he, he, he probably just rolled out of bed. I mean, he did that for a lot of matches anyway, but he, uh, yeah, he came down and uh, it was just an absolute whirlwind. He was, he just made you feel uh, inadequate really just like he was playing a different sport he was he'd move onto the ball with no swing whatsoever and still be able to generate unbelievable racket speed and uh yeah and quality and it just it, it just felt made like, you feel like a beginner uh, yeah. different yeah different game. yeah yeah anyway not, not <laughs> no, it wasn't a quick answer but it's, it's worth it sure. it's talking about Rami. um we'll be here all what what about the best non-psa league player you've played then this is an interesting one because I can think of a few those guys that you know they're not on PSA, but so they've never they're not them. not they might have or, played, but they they've kind of you know they're not they would maybe not too well known to the wider squash world. They might have played, but very briefly or something like that. That's a tricky one. Um, maybe in you know like the Yorkshire League legend or a Northwest Counties League legend, sort of. Yeah, I've got a few uh, to give one. I've got, I mean, the ones one that spring to mind would be uh, Marcus Barrett, but people would know, I guess. Um, Steve Siverton yeah. in Northwest Counties. Um, Nigel Willis. I remember playing Nigel, so Nigel Willis. I remember playing him at university, and uh, he, for, for a, I won the match 3 1, but he apps for the whole match. I've never felt so unsettled on a squash court. He just, <laughs> he was, he was, t- he was chirping me. He was, uh, he, he's, I don't know. I just lost the plot. He just completely got it's in my head, and I somehow. I mean, he, he he was hobbling around. He could barely move. He was I don't know. He must have been in his forties and could barely move. But he he was incredible at the time. He just um, so I don't know. Best I would I'd say I, mean, I had I had some tough ones, some tough losses to Steve Steve Simmons. Yeah, I remember he was he he got himself very fit at one stage, and was uh, it was a nightmare for, for the. I think there's a few people who would uh, agree with that from the northwest region of the country. Okay, number three. What is your life motto or rule to live by? Wow, <laughs> uh, this puts you on your spot. Life motto. Um, I, can't, I can't go with live fast, die old. <laughs> Some, someone's used that already. Yeah. Um, because I can I can remember. I've got one in my head that I thought you would say. I don't know if it was from you originally, but it might have been from from an old housemate of yours, potentially. Oh wow! Um, that really has, that stumped me. Um, I think I think I think as soon as you say it, um, it's what I'm trying to trying to remember. But I mean, surely you should should be able <laughs> should roll off the tongue really. <laughs> Life motto. Um, I don't know. Uh, I guess looking back, what can only uh, what can only say is um, enjoy the moment. <laughs> Something along, enjoy the moment. Don't worry too much about the future. It's kind of yeah. It's ball, ballpark, definitely ballpark. Do you want me to tell you what what I thought it was going to be? Yeah, you go. Yeah, you go. Well, well I always, I always figure remember you saying if it feels good, do it. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. It's Pete. That's uh, that's Jez on Peep Show. That's Jez on Peep Show. Yeah, I knew, I knew that was what you were. I knew I'd recognise it when you came out of it. Pretty similar, yeah, I suppose. There are similarities between you and you and Jez. For yeah, sure. at least, at least I've point. I can't remember what I said actually, but 
Number uh, four, yeah. non-squash one. This this yeah. could be this should be an easy one. Favorite service station. Classic. Beaconsfield. Yeah. No explanation needed there. I think anyone who's anyone will understand and appreciate that. I mean, any North American listeners will not have a clue, but oh well. Make a trip to fly to Heathrow, and it's not far from there. Lager or cider? Lager. Liam or Noel? Liam. CD or vinyl? I'm going to go CD. Um, I guess it's yeah, you know, it's probably trendy, and supposedly music sounds better on a vinyl. And I have got a bit of a vinyl collection, but uh, I mean, I've, I love the '90s. I love. 90s football, 90s music, and CD. You know, having a, a big uh, collection of CDs just takes me straight back there. And you know, having yeah. those boxes of CDs in the car, and yeah, so yeah, CD without a doubt, really. Best way to finish a rally: rolling nick or perfect straight tight length. This will tell us about your personality, I think. <sighs> An 18-year-old would have said rolling nick. Right now, I'd say. A perfect way to straight length. Hopefully, that buckle, buckles exactly. the opponent. Buckle the opponent's knees. Good. Nowhere near the tin. Um, now, there's a motor, another motoring question. I know these are both cars that you've had before, but Beamer or Merc? Beamer. Beamer. Right. Um, number ten. Who is your biggest inspiration or mentor? within squash could be from any any point in your career life one if there's one person squash hero would have, would have to be Jonah Barrington um, yeah having my brother was my brother's a bit bigger uh, inspiration as well um, a bit well big I had a lot of impact on, um, when I was younger but uh, he yeah he loved Jonah and he passed on his books so I used to read them as a uh, you know, as a ten, eleven year old, um, so yeah, yeah, without a doubt, Jonah really. I mean, just I, I've, I've met him. I've, that way, I've been lucky enough to meet him a couple of times. Uh, obviously, don't know him well. He probably doesn't remember me, but um, just being in, just spending some time with him and hearing him do an after dinner speech at Priory actually was uh, yeah, yeah, just incredible. Yeah, so uh, Jonah Bryan, good. <laughs> and lastly, um, you were born in eighty three. So for, of the of the decades you've lived in, eighties, nineties. Noughties, tens, and now into the twenties. Favorite, favorite decade, and why? Favorite, de- favorite, 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 well, favorite decade, and, and a kind of defining memory from it. Nineties, without a doubt, already touched on that. Um, I don't know. I just feel like things were things were good back then. You know, for me, like football was football was better. You know, you. Were, I probably didn't have the luxury of uh, of seeing the top players play all the time. So the World Cups, like if my favourite World Cups would have been, well, would have been yeah, World Cup would have been '98 and Euro '96 as well. So that uh, I don't know. There was there was Brit pop. There was a bit of a, there was just a changing of uh, of sort of vibes in England. I guess um, everyone there was people were proud to be British and uh, you know the music scene and things like that. Um, so. Yeah, it's got it's got to be nineties. Uh, defining memory, I think it would be it would be like the yeah, the house that I grew up in. Uh, some summer's day, I remember like I don't know if it was the same day. Maybe I've put these two two uh, um, happenings together, but I remember my mum bringing me back uh, a copy of um, 
what's the story morning glory and it was around the time of like you're 96 in my head maybe that that, that could be uh that could be inaccurate but yeah that seems seems about right i remember like watching england england destroy the dutch and uh it all seemed yeah i remember that being the same day so uh yeah that would be my uh my favorite memory from that great yeah well that's a little little insight for everyone there probably you know you're yeah, as the squash tourist is, is having the guests on, it's good for them to uh, find out a little bit more about the the host of these uh, these episodes. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, we'll, yeah. We'll see. Well, all right. Well, I think we should. Uh, we're just just under an hour there, so uh, we should. We'll probably wrap. Should wrap it up. Yep. Um, yep. No, it's been uh, good but... to uh, good to do another one. Enjoyable. Yeah, and I'm sure this has brightened, uh, brightened everyone's day up. So thanks again. If it hasn't brightened anyone else's day up, at least certainly brightened mine up. And that's the main. That's the main thing. All right. Excellent. All right. Cheers, mate. See you. Cheers. Bye bye. See ya. Bye.